tell that joke. Absolutely refuse. I mean, in the in the name of good taste, I refuse to tell that joke. <laughs> no, I will not. Uh, you ever read a newspaper that has down at the bottom of it, you know, today's chuckle? And have you ever actually got a chuckle out of it? <laughs> oh, wow. Listen to this one. The backyard clamor was something terrible until we packed all four kids off to camp, said the weary mother. And then, later, we remembered we have only three. <laughs> George. Oh, that's a real chuckle. <laughs> uh, man. All right, all right. Uh, excuse me, uh... Tonight's uh, effort may have certain elements of, uh, let's say, uh, lusty bestiality in it. And I, I don't want, yes, yes, uh, to have to, let's face it, uh, man, as part of his makeup, is the beast. You agree? There is uh, the lusty beast in all of us. <laughs> Uh, but uh, we, we are, we're not going to we're not going to pursue that uh, uh, in uh, gory detail. However, to say that tonight we would like to salute another side of man, and that is total dedication to an ideal. It, it's never been reported that say uh, Airedales uh, ever get a, a thing in their craw and they spend their entire life pursuing it, unless it's another Airedale. Of course, that's nothing to do with the craw. It has a lot to do with glands, right? and uh, various uh, various instincts. But, <laughs> I mean, you know, let's face it, uh, Captain Ahab stumping around the quarterdeck and uh, shaking his fist at the heavens and uh, and cursing the day that he ever met Moby Dick, stumping around there and spending his life, 30 years I've sailed these raging seas and 30 years I have pursued that accursed whale you heard this, you know, this is, this is a man thing, yeah. And uh, we would like to tonight salute the total dedication that some people feel about certain things and, uh, and their pursuit of those things. Uh, and also, we would like to salute fear. You might, uh, no, 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 not the commercial, not yet. No, 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 I'll tell you when the commercial comes out. This is not a commercial, see. Uh, around a TV or radio station, the minute you mention beer, they hit the money button. <laughs> Can you imagine what would happen to national sports if they stopped making beer? I'm telling you. I mean, all of a sudden, uh, the minor leagues would become the Class D leagues overnight, and Lindsey Nelson would be out reporting on polo matches. But uh, never <laughs> nevertheless, uh, uh, beer is important to uh, you know. Uh, from from the from time immemorial, do you realize that that uh, beer has appeared in every primitive culture in one form or another. So that says something about beer. Either it says something about man or it says something about beer. I can't say this, which is saying more about. But uh, but uh, the moment that man discovered beer, that instant must have been, and it isn't even wise when you stop to think about it, one of the great historical milestones. I mean, uh, you know, they always talk about the discovery of the wheel, the thing, the thing that seems to all of mankind. I don't know, you know, I I, uh, I know a lot of people today that uh, that are taking up walking again, and, and the wheel is kind of getting out of date, you agree. I mean, it was a while there when the wheel was everybody's big thing in the head, but now people are out there buying them $40 hiking shoes, and, and you know, they're going into all this uh, 
the wheel is kind of loose, but beer, no, no, no. Beer, beer is not losing out. And it will not. And I can tell you this as a as a world traveler, and I have really traveled the world. I I must say, once you've been around the world two or three times, the world becomes a curiously uh, familiar, oddly uh, nostalgically sad place. That's what's fascinating about traveling too much. And I use the word too much advisedly and also with uh, deliberation. That I can hardly watch a newscast today. You know, just watch Walter Cronkite or uh, my old buddy Chair, John Chancellor. Uh, I can hardly watch a newscast without having been in almost all the places that, that uh, comes on the news. You know that Damascus Road talking about? I was on that Damascus Road. I was in Damascus, and I keep thinking of a strange afternoon I had in Damascus when, when, the, when the light was getting bad. It was kind of getting twilight. Very hot day. The temperature was 110, something like that. And I was walking along a narrow street in Damascus, and there was a wall, and there was this big brick, kind of a strange, ancient-looking wall with maybe seven or eight uh, uh, Damascus beggars squatting down next to this wall, looking at me. And they all, they, they, about eight of them all together, and they looked like a pile of rags with little tiny eyes peeking out. <laughs> now, you know, when, you, when you've been in these places, there's a strange feeling of familiarity and at the same time, a curious feeling of deja vu. Now, I can't explain it any more than that. I have been in Damascus. I've been in Tel Aviv. I have also been in Haifa. I've been in Beersheba. And, uh, you know, this whole business of the Sinai, I've been in the Sinai. In fact, one night, Barry Farber's been after me to tell that story of the time that I scuba dived from a beach in Israel, uh, underwater a mile or so, and came up and walked ashore in Egypt with an Israeli. There's a big red cliff rising up. <laughs> and off in the distance, we could see the lights of Aqaba, which is a place, uh, by the way, uh, where, uh, where Lawrence of Arabia had a lot of action, among other things. And, and uh, oh, yeah, I don't know why I'm bringing all this up, but this is what happens to you when you've been around. Uh, you, you, you can't, it, 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 you lose a lot of your illusions about the way things should be. And at the same time, you have a lot of other curious impressions that nobody else really has about these things. Uh, now, now, an example, just uh, coming out of the, out of the blue. Uh, the other day, I'm watching the newscast, and I see the actual, <laughs> this is a weird thing, I see uh, the actual shed where I, one time, stopped the car and got out and tried to figure out what was wrong with the rear left tire. I went back and looked at the tire. There was the shed, and standing in front of the shed in this new shot was an Israeli tank. I said, my God, I know that shed. That's, that's really you. That's, that's, that is. Uh, then on, on the other hand, I see, I see five minutes later, I'm watching a scene in Thailand. And, and, and the very street that I walked down is on the, is on the newscast. Here's this guy. Uh, this is uh, Charles Corbett reporting to you from Bangkok. And he's going on. 
And I looked back there, and there's this movie house that I had, had stood in front of one day, waiting for a bus in the middle of a very hot day in Bangkok, and all the all the Thai people were standing around in their little white shirts and their black pants, which the Thai men wear often, short sleeves, very, very neat, crisp dresses. And I'm waiting for this bus to come along, and the guys are driving like crazy down the street. And I thought to myself, uh, you know, any minute now, one of those citroens uh, is going to come hopping up over the curb and kill 45 of us. And of course, in the audience, that would not matter too much. And, uh, and here I am watching. This is Charles Grubbs reporting to you from that. I didn't I know that place. And uh, it gives you a strange view of the world. Uh, the other day again, uh, I'm watching. I'm watching another news channel. Uh, the usual guy standing in the, in the street with a, with a microphone. This is uh, Peter Jennings reporting to you from Nome, Alaska. And in fact, well, I can see the Baranoff Saloon. I know that place, and I play pool in the, in the, in the back row there. This is sad. This is sad. It is. It's sad. It's just this stuff in your head. I mean, there, and there. Uh, and you can't be impressed anymore by any <laughs> And, and uh, the idea of, uh, well, uh, another scene that happened to me one day was, uh, again, watching the news. And I, I'm, uh, for some strange reason, I don't recall what the, uh, what the, what why this news thing, bulletin was on, what it was about, uh, but there was a scene that was shot in Labrador. Now, Labrador. Right? Labrador. And there's the usual guy standing there wearing this usual nylon jacket. This is Charlie Brown reporting to you from Goose Bay. You know, he goes on like that. Well, directly behind him and off to the left was a hill. Now, I'll tell you about that hill. But one day, me and two other guys sat on that very hill for about four hours with a very cold wind blowing out of the Labradorian woods, just sitting there cursing the day that we ever arrived and wondering why the hell we were there and just looking down <laughs> so you know you can't you can't uh, now i'll give you i'll ask you a question here now just just to talk about have you ever been to akron ohio akron ohio okay well, one of my spies just sent me a front page from the akron beacon journal now, that's a newspaper. It's the kind of paper that's down at the bottom of the front page they have today's chuckle, right? Okay. <laughs> well, the Akron Beacon Journal. Now, I've been in Akron. What do you have? One brief, hectic, um, nightmarish period in my life. Yes, nightmarish. Well, it was a, 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 a nightmare. It didn't relate necessarily to the town. I was in Toledo. One hectic, unbelievable, disastrous summer with the wind blowing in off of Lake Erie. You could smell the dead fish. And uh, it was hotter than the fingers of hell. And uh, I walked down Huron Street. I didn't have more than four quarters to rub together at any given time. That's the only time that in, in my life I ever had a charge account at the White Castle. And uh, I did. <laughs> I really did. So I, I asked you, how do you see Akron? Well, Akron, Toledo, these places, these are towns full of driven men. Driven men. That's right, they built great empires. One of the great tire manufacturers came out of Akron. They didn't come out of Passaic. 
Okay, the pumping the air. Detroit. It's all in that area. Detroit. Toledo. Akron. Columbus. This this road is a special breed of men. Uh, that that I, I say to you, growing up and living in the area of Flint, Michigan, is what Purdue can be for. He did not grow up in Morristown, New Jersey. Henry Ford. Driven men. And you want to know what I mean about driven men? And how it relates to beer? Oh. This is WOR New York. Speaking of driven men. <laughs> driven men. Scurrying away from dark shadows in the late nights of existence. Uh, before we go any further, we have a little commercial here that I'd like to lay on you. And uh, it's kind of a nice one here. Yes, uh, where is it? Yes, yes, here it is. Are you one of those people that are just beginning to enjoy wine? That's, uh, that's an important time in a man's life. He's just beginning to wean himself from that second-rate stuff, and he's beginning to get the exquisite taste of the real thing. Well, we would like to suggest Alexis Lachine Beaujolais, a très élégant. Red wine, light, fresh, the really fine wine. For it's a truly French experience. You will enjoy it indeed. They're having the auto show again. The Greater New York Automobile Show at the New York Coliseum. And the world premiere showing of all the new 74s. The fantastic show, incidentally. They're having a lot of the names from the imports are there. Antiques, races, the whole bit. So, meet your date at the Swingles Auto Bar, sponsored by Penthouse and Viva, where the cars are as sexy as the girls. <laughs> all only. Have you noticed that women and sex and cars are always mingled in? All only at the Greater New York Automobile Show. New York Coliseum, and it opens Saturday. And let's see, how would you like to win a vacation for two in Denmark? It's uh, a nice way to get the year started. Fly there on Scandinavian Airlines. All expenses paid. And uh, incidentally, uh, along the way, you may win some free Danish cheese for a cheese tasting party. You. Visit any store that sells cheese, and then on a card or letter, uh, you write the store name and address and the names of the various varieties of Danish cheese that you find there, and your name and address. And then you whip it off to WOR Radio New York, and every week through October 27th, they're going to be drawing these cards, and you may win yourself a gift certificate to have a little Danish cheese, or you may win a vacation. Speaking of beer, please, if you will, Al. If you want to find something out, you've got to ask tough questions. And we want to find something out. Do you know you're probably drinking the wrong beer? Do you know there's a better tasting beer than the kind you're drinking right now? Do you know there's a beer so good, some people will not drink any other brand? Do you know this great beer's name is Ballantine? Yes, beer. <laughs> oh, now, listen carefully, and you will hear the story of truly dedicated men. This comes from the Akron Beacon Journal. I mean, you got to picture the scene. Uh, I don't think there are many things that, that, that will drive a man to 
to uh, the ends of the earth. This is this is this is what Melville was writing about. That uh, the, the whale isn't important, really. That whale, you know, it's just a. What are you going to make out of a whale? You know, a couple of wallets maybe uh, out of the skin and uh, boil it down and make some uh, some candles or something. That's you know, but it drove Captain Ahab right out of his bird. I would like to tonight salute two men who have put their love where it counts right on the line. Akron Beacon Journal. And these are two Akronites. Bob Keller and Tom Chesco with a fierce thirst coursing through their veins decided to go out and get a can of their favorite beer. They went all the way to Kansas City, Kansas. Did you hear what I said? They live in Akron, Ohio. Now, for those of you who don't know much about uh, geography, you probably think, well, that's, you know, like, like driving to Trenton, right? Forget it, friends. They drove 1,643 miles round trip. They were gone 45 hours. And they returned with ten cases of Coors beer. In the spring, we're going to fly to the brewery itself in Golden, Colorado. And we're going to rent a truck to bring it back, said Chesco, 27, an Akron fireman. We can't believe how fast that beer goes down. Keller, 25, said he and Chesco were sitting around drinking the local brew late one night, and they decided to make the drive. They got talking about great beers. And Chesco said to Keller, Hey, you ever had Coors? At which point Keller said, Oh, God, it's a great beer. And they sat there for a minute and began to fester in, his, in their heads. And then Chesco said, Gee, I'd love to have a Coors right now. Keller said, Yeah, so would I. But, you know, they don't sell it out here. It's only sold in the West. At which point they got out and got into their car and started to drive west. 1,643 miles later, they sat down in the basement and began to lap up beer. <laughs> now, that's a great story. I really, you know, uh, listen, he says, Chesco was on vacation, and Keller, a warehouseman, was recovering from a hernia operation when they said, quote, and this is their quote, we was overcome with a thirst for that beautiful Colorado Kool-Aid. Everybody said we was crazy when we left recalls Keller, hoisting another gleaming aluminum can. But when we got back with the beer, oh, yeah, they were right on hand there. What the sound? Going to laugh up a little bit of it. You know, you find out you got friends once you got the stuff down in the basement. Keller said he developed a strong taste for Coors when he was in the Army in California. <laughs> and the two of them sat around. And the, the two men said that they called the brewery before leaving to determine that there was no closer place to buy it than in Kansas City. It was worth every drop, says Chesco. Not only did we get the beer, but we got to see East St. Louis, Illinois, too, on the way. Uh, how's that for an enigmatic remark? Chesco described... <laughs> Chesco described East St. Louis as, quote, It looks a little bit like Barberton after a really permanent smog attack. I don't know what Barberton is, but uh, they got to see the town... Chesco and Keller said they were trying to ration the last 24 cans, but it was unlikely that they can make it last until the spring. Quote, We're usually, uh, you know, we usually drink the local beer, said Chesco, but uh, 
I want to tell you, uh, with that uh, core sitting around in the basement, it's awful hard to keep your hands off of it. Now, that's true devotion. That is love. Now, I'm going to tell you, I, I, uh, I, I don't know quite how to approach this, but it is not only men who are driven to the ends of the earth over curious, uh, often completely inexplicable products and things. It is more often than not women. Do you agree? I, one of the worst experiences I ever had with a woman, now, now you're going to hear a, 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 a female-male experience, and one of the worst experiences I ever had with a woman came about under almost identical circumstances. I don't know whether I should tell the story. No, I've never told this story in the air, and uh, and uh, I might as well let it all hang out. Tell you what happened. Now, there's a period in your life that you go through when you are a male. I'm speaking with with uh, qualified experience in the field of maledom, the uh, the male profession. We both know about these things, Al. Certainly, you do, Jerry. There's a period in your life when you go through um, a, a a time when about all you can think about is women. you call that out? you agree? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's true. I forgot you're an engineer, Al. That, uh, <laughs> that's a... <laughs> but let's put it this way. Ordinary walking around males go through this period. And uh, that excludes any guys that get themselves involved in the, the mystique of tape decks. Uh, guys that get involved in the, you know, the the constant uh, attempt to improve uh, preamplifiers. Those are that's another crowd. We're talking about ordinary males. Uh, there's a period. It, it, it exists roughly between your, I would say, your 19th year, roughly, and your 23rd year, when the uh, you're you're driven, totally driven. I mean, so so completely that uh, that you'll do anything. You know. So I met this girl. All right. Now, uh, she was only in my life a very brief period, but I have never forgotten her. It's the kind of girl that you just don't forget. I, I, uh, this, this. First of all, she was a sensational-looking chick. I mean, really sensational. I mean, by any standard, not any yardstick you care to apply, she was great-looking. First of all, she was about. Oh, I'd say five, five feet to five, something like that. You know, just a nice size. Not too big, not too little. Just about five, five. I would say she weighed in at maybe 102. But I want to tell you this. It was unbelievably, magnificently distributed. I mean, it was all there and in abundance. And not too much of abundance. You know what I'm talking about? Neat, compact. Dynamite. I mean, really. And more than that, she had one of the greatest looking faces I ever saw in my life. You know, the kind of, the, the, you, you walk into a place with this chick and you just see, you know, guys in the booths and all that. It, it was just like an electric current would go through the room, see. And everybody start looking. You see these guys uh, looking over there, you know. And boy, man, what a, what, a, what a girl. Now, I will not bother you with the, with the somewhat the dull, mundane story as to how I met this girl, how I followed her throughout the town for 17 consecutive weeks before I trapped her in a phone booth and uh, talked her into going out with me. You don't want to know about these things. But nevertheless, 
There are times when you are driven right up the wall for, you know, this girl. And it's it's purely, and it's not in the most obvious way, you know. It's it's just because she dominates your entire thoughts. Now, uh, you have had this happen to you, Jerry, I presume? Yes, that's true. Al, I don't know. You're an engineer. Uh, now you're admitting it. Okay, all right. Well, this is this is the thing that happens to males. So, nevertheless, uh, I we have had a couple of dates now, and it's going fantastic. Oh man, we uh, uh, you know we, we really really is working great. We 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 went to this uh, we went to this place up in Chicago and spent our whole evening and the whole thing, and 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 it was there was rapport. You understand rapport, but there was a quality about her that was. Curiously, how can I say it better than to say curiously tantalizing and mocking? You ever known that type of girl? Well, now, many of you haven't. I can only refer you to the writings of F. Scott Fitzgerald. Now, there aren't many girls like this. Now, I've known a lot of women since, and I knew many before, but I never knew one quite like this. She reminds me now, in retrospect, of Zelda. If you've ever read anything about F. Scott Fitzgerald, about this curious mad light in the eyes that drove Fitzgerald right up the wall. He couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't get away from her either. You know, there was a curious madness about her that was both unbelievably attractive and at the same time drove you up the wall. Well, I don't know, I want to tell you, that's what this chick had. For the purposes of argument's sake, uh, let us call her Sandra, right? That is not her name. Uh, incidentally, she is still around, driving men uh, into a very early grave, driving them mad. Yes, that is true. That is very true. She's unbelievable. So, uh, here I am, you know, I'm just embarking upon my career of, uh, of chasing the eternal grail, uh, constantly pursuing the ultimate woman, which all men have going inside their mind, if nowhere else. Uh, nevertheless, I, 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 by by a series of odd coincidences, I met this girl. Right there, I am. I'm right up against, let's say, eternal, unbelievable, con- totally realized, femme fatalism. And I don't know whether many of you have ever met femme fatale. You know what the word femme fatale means, don't you? The fatal woman. <laughs> the femme fatale. The one that's going to kill you, man. And, and don't, uh, you know, don't I, uh, I... I love it. I mean, unfortunately, the thing about a true femme fatale is that you enjoy being made into coleslaw. That's something you got to remember. This is not a shrew. Not, not the kind that screams at you. A true femme fatale would tell you just with a flick of her little finger, I want you to drive your new Ford right off that cliff. For measy. Just for little old me. And you'd say, oh, wow, and off you'd go. Wham. Cheering every bit of the every bit of the way down that cliff as your new Ford is exploding into flame and your suit is on fire, you would absolutely go to your end joyously. Okay. Now we've established the premise. Now, a lot of you are going to sit out there and you're going to say, well, you know, he's exaggerating. You know why I'm saying, why I'm saying you're going to say that? Because you have not met that type of female. They are rare. But what, it's like Mata Hari. I can understand. The, you, you ever read stories about Mata Hari? You know, the famous spy? 
she was a, tr- a true femme fatale. Drove guys right off. I mean, you know, g- generals with the, with the, I mean, you know, these guys. Uh, and the next thing you know, he's saying, yeah, yeah, well, then we're going to go over here. We're going to get the Germans over there. And anything else you want to know? Well, I'll tell you, we got this new. Why? It's the look in the eye. A curious, fantastic look. And you want to hear what this chick did to me? Why I understand about Keller? And I understand about, uh, what's his name? Uh, yeah, Chesco. Okay? That kind of woman, incidentally, will often set impossible tasks for you merely to see you leap. I only discovered that later. <laughs> so, here it is. Okay? Here it is. January. Now, January is a cold month in, in the Midwest, and uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, uh, home from, from, from school on a weekend. It was the, uh, it was the winter, winter vacation we had around exam time, you know, they have a week off during exams, and uh, I am home, and I have been thinking about her all the preceding semester. By the way, that's part of the lure of the true the true femme fatale, if I can use this expression, that absence not only makes the heart grow fonder, it makes the heart go right out of its bird. Uh, because you know that she ain't thinking about you. You know that, that she is drawing males around her like a magnet drawing iron filings, and it's driving you right up the wall. And so there I am, sitting in this dormitory, this little poured concrete cubicle of mine and they, all the women in the, the immediate vicinity look like little squat fire plugs, you know uh, that type, see that but I kept thinking of Sandra and the week was drawing closer and finally one night, about two days before I was to go home I decided to call her long distance so I dialed her number, I went, you know, down to the pay phone, down says I put Two dollars and a quarter in, whatever it is, I had to pay, you know, and I dial this number. <laughs> the phone rings, and uh, I hear somebody pick it up, and I can hear, obviously, this is the kind of thing that drives you up right up the bird with that type of girl. There is a fantastic party going on. You can hear people yelling, and there'll be a little music playing, and the guy's out, hey, I forgot some more beer. They're hollering. And uh, I said, Is Sandra near? This voice said, uh, uh, Who is this calling? And I said, It doesn't make any difference. Uh, Tell her uh, cutie pie is calling. There's uh, Sandra there. <laughs> and I hear this guy says, Hey, Sandy, there's another one on the phone. Ooh, there's another one on the phone. So I hear the voice come in. says, Hello. I said, uh, Sandra. She says, Hello, who is this? I said, It's me. She says, Fred. I said, No, 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 it's me, me. To stand? Well, uh, it's me. <laughs> Chip. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 of course, yeah. How are you? And then, of course, you see, the thing about Femme Fatale, the minute that they zero in, you get the total thing. She zeroes in. Oh, I'm so glad you called. I'm glad that that slob stand didn't call. And certainly that idiot, I thought it was that idiot Fred, but oh, wow, it's you. That's <laughs> Yeah, it is. Uh, gee, uh, hey, uh, Sandy, uh, um, <laughs> what are you doing uh, next week? She says, 
Oh, uh, next week? Uh, gee, I don't know why. Well, I'm, uh, I'm uh, coming home, you know. I'm, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, we're having exams, and it's, uh, got a week off now, and, uh, and, uh, right after exams, and it's exam week now, and, <laughs> Uh, new quarter starts, uh, <laughs> and I'm coming home. Uh, I want to get together with you. He says, oh, well, give me a call when you get home. I said, oh, sure, I sure will. Uh, I'm coming home Saturday afternoon. And uh, she says, well, then call me Saturday night. I says, okay. Well, I do not have to tell you that uh, I put that phone back on its hook. And uh, my heart was whistling songs of uh, eternal love and passion. I mean, the whole thing. And I was, oh, boy, I was in a sweat. Now, m- m- you male types know what this is like. For the next two days, I literally was in a genuine sweat, in spite of the fact that it was 20 below zero there. I was sweating. <laughs> I, <laughs> thinking about this, Sandra. All right, now, I get the Friday of the day, uh, finishes, you know, it's at noontime. I jump, run out of the, uh, out of the, out of the uh, dormitory. I get in my old Ford and uh, I start that car, and I drove like a madman, absolutely through the snow and the ice. In fact, I'll tell you, it was one of the most hellish drives I can ever remember because my heater was out. It was not working. The temperature was roughly, I mean, seriously, 15 below zero, with a 25-mile-an-hour spanking crosswind coming over those Indiana cornfields. And I want to tell you, the interior of that Ford was colder than a well digger you know what after a big season. Yes. Yes indeed. It was it was cold, let me tell you. But I did not stop. I drove without stop, stopping only occasionally to pour gas in that gas guzzler. I got maybe two or three miles to the gallon of gas with that junk. But that did not matter. I was driving home and it was like Captain Ahab on that last that last fantastic lap when he can see the whale coming out of the water and he's got the harpoon in his hand, right? And I'm driving, driving, driving. Oh, I'm driving. I finally slew up the driveway and I rush into the house. And, of course, my mother thought I was glad to see her, you know. <laughs> I'm home! She says, oh, gee, wow, we didn't expect you for another hour and a half. You must have really drove. Yeah, I'm home, quick! And I run through the living room with, still with my earmuffs on, you know, and the snow falling off me. I grab the phone. I dial the number, and I get a busy signal. I dial again, and I get another busy signal. And by now, I am really starting to sweat. I dial a third time, and I get a busy signal. And I think, well, you know, uh, maybe uh, her mother is talking to the doctor or something like that. Well, I called for roughly 45 minutes, got nothing but a busy signal. Finally, I decided to drive over, which is, of course, fatal. I drove over to her house, and I go up to the, I go up to the door, you know, and I, I knock on the door, and her mother says, yes. I said, uh, gee, I'm, I'm here to, I want to say hello to Sandy. I'm, I'm here to see Sandra. I'm, uh, I'm uh, telling her, uh, Shepard's here to see her. <laughs> she says, oh, well, uh, uh, all right, uh, she's. Uh, she, I think she's busy, but uh, uh, come right, come right in. And so I go into the the living room, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm cold. I'm still, you know, still, I'm still not thawed out from the trip yet. But the sweat is popping out on my my chin and my nose. My eyeballs are sweating, and I hear her voice in the next room. She is on the phone. And she is saying things like, oh, come on now, don't. 
Oh, you're silly. Really, that was silly for you to say that. Uh, well, what do you expect me to say to him? Oh, God, she's talking to another man. And, and you know, it's one of these things going on. And I, she, she continues to talk. Well, I finally decided to walk over to the door, and I stuck my head. I just looked at it and said, Hi, uh, Sandy. <laughs> she looked up, and you know, for the brief, brief instant I had the feeling she'd never seen me before. Like, uh, uh, you know, what's the TV repairman doing here? Why, it's the, the set is around on the back, you know. And uh, I said, uh, Hi, Barb. It's uh, oh, Sandy. Uh, it's, uh, it's me. It's... <laughs> Oh, yes. Uh, uh, of course. Uh, uh, wait a minute. I'll be right with you. Uh, and then she goes back to the phone, and now she's holding her hand. She's whispering in the phone. When I sit down on the seat there, and uh, I wait five minutes, and then she comes out. She says, oh, I'm so glad to see you. And I said, uh, what about tonight? Uh, gee, she looked great, and, and I want to tell you. I can't describe to you how she looked to me after driving 250 miles through the snow and uh, after spending one entire quarter in the dormitory looking at the concrete walls and looking at those biology majors walking through the quad. Uh, I just want to tell you that, uh, well, it, uh, I can only say that madness was beginning to take its evil toll of my mind. She just looked like she was glowing in the dark. She just had... she. It was radiating, you know, just, this this fantastic... I couldn't stand it. I said, well, how about tonight, Sandy? How about tonight? And she says, oh, uh, gee, uh, I, I promised my aunt I would come over and visit her tonight. She's she's uh, She's got arthritis, and, uh, and uh, I thought I'd go over and I'd take her uh, a box of candy, and I said, oh, well... Gee, and by the way, when the madness is on you, you don't want to believe anything else, right? You don't want to believe that the, that she's giving you the business. So I said to her, well, uh, how about Sunday? She said, oh, well, you know, Sunday, uh, I, I, well, uh, it's my cousin, you know. Uh, my cousin uh, sprained her ankle. And, uh, uh, and uh, I said, well, what about Monday? What about Monday? She said, Monday, Monday. Uh, well, yes, Monday. That weekend went by in a hellish swirl of sweat, steamy cogitation, total passion. Monday, I arrive over her place, and her family is gone. They're just us. I said, the genius, Sandy. Uh, she, said, uh, she said, I fixed dinner. I said, dinner? I, you know, I figured I was going to take her to this elegant place I'd saved. She said, yes, I fixed dinner. She said, you know, I would like to ask you a favor. And I said, a favor? What is it? She said, I, I, she said, have you ever had May wine? This is January. I said, May wine? At that time, I was just vaguely getting out of my Pepsi-Cola phase. I said, May wine? <laughs> well, yeah, yes. <laughs> you know, you don't want to mention them. She said, I love May wine, and I would love to have a bottle of May wine with the uh, meal that I fixed for just the two of us. And I said, May wine? Where do you get it? She said, well, go to any liquor store. And I said, okay, I'll be right back. And I ran out into the snow, and I drove down to the liquor store. And I said, I'll have a bottle of May wine. I said, say, you out of here, mine? May wine? This is, what, what, this is January, are you kidding? May wine comes out in May. 
I said, but, but May Wine, she wants May Wine. He said, we ain't got no May Wine, buddy. Come around sometime in the spring and we may have some May Wine. Forget it, buddy. I said, but, but where can I get it? He said, well, why don't you try uh, the J&L liquor store? Maybe they got a couple of bottles left over from last, last season. So I drive down to the next liquor store. I walk in the store and I said, uh, May Wine? It's May Wine. What kind of a nut are you, May Wine? We don't have May Wine until springtime. I tried four liquor stores. I called her on the phone from the fifth one. I said, you know, Sandra, they tell me they don't have... She says, what do you mean they don't have May Wine? Fred bought a bottle over here last week. I said, he did? I said, where'd he get it? She says, I don't know. But Fred brought me some. I said, I'll get you some. I looked for May Wine until past midnight. I wound up on the north side of Chicago. I went to 225 liquor stores. And every time I'd call her back, she was getting madder. Outside of Arlington, Illinois, I found a bottle of May wine. I couldn't believe it. He had a bottle. I brought it back. I ran into the house. I said, I got it. She took one look at it and says, Oh, that... I only like Dubelhofer. What is this? I said... Dubelhofer, what? She said, that, I don't drink that kind of May, but that's, that's, that's terrible May wine. And it was that light of madness dancing in her eyes. She was radiating passion. I don't have to tell you what I did. I ran out, jumped in the Ford. This is, I'll get some Dubelhoffers. I've been looking for Dubelhofer May wine ever since. And one day I'm going to find a bottle of Dubelhofer May wine, and I'm going to drive to wherever she is. Still driving men mad, and I'm going to say, here's your Dubelhofer May wine. She's going to look me in the eye, and I'm going to fall down on the floor and grumble. God, I know it. Oh, there's no escape. No escape. Once the madness is in your soul.